Hello, guys, and welcome back to the podcast. This is Paint the Town Dead, and I am one half of your hosts, Caitlin. And I am half number two, Andrew. It's so good to have you number two. Thank you. <laughs> number no, Number two. one. Number two. What's been going on with you lately? Nothing. Nice. Me too. I guess. Wait, I had my vacation. Wait. Staycation? Was that last week? No, it was the week before last, wasn't it? Yeah, I think you already did it. Golly. What is happening? It's almost August, I will have you know. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. Which means it's almost December. <laughs> sure. That's how it works. That's a way to think about it, I guess. Yeah, well, I'm, it's it's closer to December than it is January of this year. Yep. Yep. That's true. Yep. Um, that is science, people. Take also, that. Also less than a month away from college starting again Uh, mine never stopped it's been it's been constant for the past two years so yeah i've i've been usually taking summer classes but i didn't this time it was a bad summer to take classes just you did you made a good choice i don't know this probably would have been the best summer to take classes why teachers don't care because i would have been inside anyway taking online classes or whatever that's very true that is true but also don't don't take classes ever well yeah if you don't want to i won't okay i'm done don't take my advice i'm a poor advice giver (laughs) hey um i know everybody was really concerned so i have to mention this okay Uh, what (laughs) andrew has no idea i don't know what's happening kitty kitty's feeling a lot better oh okay yeah he's after um you haven't seen my thumb i don't know if you can see it in this light but it's healed up a little bit already but I had to, um, with the help of my sweet boyfriend, I had to shove antibiotics down my cat's throat twice a day for seven days. My cat did not like that. I did not like doing that to him. And on the last dose, he got me real good. I was trying to pry open his mouth with my hand and he jerked his head away and his tooth like sliced me like it was bleeding. It was very painful. And I was like, great, my thumb's going to rot off because I got sliced by a cat tooth and like, you know, cat scratches and bites and stuff are notoriously yucky. So I was like immediately running to the sink trying to wash it out with soap. I was like, God, I need this thumb, please. And he, your cat's kind of a jerk even when you're not messing with him anyway. He's gotten better. I, he used to be much more of a jerk like 10 years ago in college. He was much more of a jerk, but he's he's gotten better in his old age. Like he's getting a little senile. He's like, I don't care. He wasn't in his defense. He didn't purposefully do this. It was my fault because I was opening his mouth the wrong way. I was like, this will be fine. I'm just going to hurry and do this. I've done it like 13 other times, so it's fine. But nope, he he figured out a way to get me. And he got me. It was self-defense. It was. So like, sort of. I can't I can't fault him. I was trying to make him better, but he didn't know that. Yeah. So but that's okay. Just now he's just waking up and he's like, I feel better. I don't know why. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm a cat. I don't know what the cat. correlation is. I don't know I don't know things. Yeah, Jinky's feeling better. Um in bad news, here's bad news. The spider population has exploded in my house and around my house, and I do not appreciate that at all. What, what what are you doing to make that happen? I didn't do anything. And they're not little bitty spiders. There's a dead one by the door, the front door. There's a dead one by the garage door. I killed one last night by these win- by the living room windows. There are two big dead ones out here by the back door. And then I killed one by the patio table. 
what is happening? Maybe they're trying to avenge their fallen comrades. <laughs> their fallen brethren. <laughs> yeah. They're, they've declared Freedom! war. They've declared war on your household. They really have. And I don't appreciate it because I'm at least going to try to win. But I did spray. <laughs> I saw something with the tail is in my garage. It slithered underneath a crack. I don't know if it was a lizard or a, a little baby snake, but it's in my garage and a bunch of dead spiders in there too. I don't know what what the deal is. Maybe it's just because it's so hot. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. Uh, I mean, you're, you've got your bag of dead flies out there. Maybe they're trying to get to that. Maybe they're trying to see well, if you got the hookup. That's a new bag. That was That was put out yesterday. Yeah, well. So, I mean... I don't think so. It, it, ugh, that is the most rancid smelling thing ever. But it works so well. I mean, the 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 flies, they just, they come and they never leave. <laughs> because they're dead in a bag. That's yeah, that's the best way to have a fly. That's the, yeah. It's, in my mind. But it sure does stink. I mean, whew, it's bad. Andrew hasn't smelled the stench of it. But I think after the podcast... After we record, I'm going to like see if, see what the odds are. It'll go take a whiff. I'm not going to do that. What if it's on accident? I just won't go out there. I have no reason to go out there. <laughs> you really don't. <laughs> okay. Anyway, what about you? Enough about me. I've been um, a lazy person. I've neglected my yard. So I I had like two weeks ago, I guess now. I mowed it twice in one week and it was like, it was like a good thing to do that. And now it's been over a week since I did it last. So, and white fluffy. And I think with a potential storm coming through in a couple days, I got to do. Is that going to happen? Like a little bit of Hannah coming towards us? I have no idea. I just, I just saw potential Wednesday. So Tuesday, the day this is actually be going out, I need to, I got to do some stuff. I'm actually, it's going to be a very busy day and I may just decide not to do it. We'll see. Wait another week. It's fine. Yeah. Who am I trying to impress? Oh my God. Would they even be impressed? With your yard? Yeah. I think more impressive than your yard is the facial hair you attempted and I really wish you would commit to it because it's excellent. I will not commit to anything ever. It is excellent. It's like, um, it's like trimmed. It's like I had a guard. You had a guard on the like sides and, and, and underneath and stuff and the chin and then you left the mustache and it's yes. pretty incredible. I haven't even uh, trimmed the hairs on it off my lip a little bit like I normally do. Yeah, it looks like it's getting quite quite uh, quite full there, quite quite bushy over your lip. Yes. I think you should I think you should commit to it a little further and really bring out the mustache. Burt Reynolds. I see. I won't look like Burt Reynolds. I'll look like a weird creep. <laughs> like there's only so many Tom Selleck's and oh. Nick Offerman and uh, what's his face. You just said Burt Reynolds yeah. out there. Yeah. That can have a mustache and not look like a predator. Also, the like Tom Selleck and Burt Reynolds are like icons of the seventies. Yeah. But hey, you know who has mustaches? Cool hipster kids. I don't want, I won't look like them either. You kind of, you could pull it off. I wouldn't look, I would not look like I fit in with a cool hipster person. In part because I dress like a pathetic man child. You just dress like you're comfy. Exactly. Unless you have somewhere to go or something to do, then you look nice. Like that one outfit. That one, I have that one shirt. (laughs) 
That one, it looked really nice. You looked very nice in that. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Meanwhile, I basically wear pajamas all day because <laughs> I'm in scrubs. And it's like when I get home, it's like, eh, it's just as comfortable in this as it is in pajamas. So I'm going to stay in this. Unless, of course, I have like something on it. Yeah, but that's it's also like a respectable outfit still. Because people will look at you and go, you have a, a decent job career thing probably going on. Or they'll you, be like, why are you wearing scrubs? And it's like, it's literally because I'm too lazy to change. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's true. That's acceptable, a lot of people. right? As long as they're comfortable, you know, like if I had a real job and wore like a button up shirt, that that's coming off immediately when oh, I get home because oh, they're uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, that's true. If I had to wear like like stockings or like hose and like pla- heels and a skirt. I don't know. It depends. I do like to wear dresses because you can like kick your leg if you need to and you don't have pants restricting you. Well, that's why I wear shorts. Also a good, also a good choice. Also good. Pants bad. That's Ban- right. <laughs> Ban them. Yeah. Pants bad. Uh, skirts or shorts or yoga pants. Those are okay. Only way to go. I'll take your word for it. Okay. All right. Andrew, are you ready to get in? Get into the story. It's gonna take. Yes. It's gonna take a while. What I like about this is Caitlin's been telling me not to read ahead, but I, I don't have to read ahead because I already kind of know what happens. Because I we Cause talked we about this specifically talked about it. Yeah, and it's listen. Researching this, I was crying. This is gonna be pretty lengthy, but it's also it's so good. And disclaimer: couple disclaimers here. First off, the episode does not take place. In Arkansas specifically. It does take place for the most part in Texas, but there are Arkansas connections that you will see later, and I will bring those out. Uh, and I mean, this like when I heard about this case, which some of you have probably already heard of this, it was just too powerful not to share. So I have to share it. But also disclaimer, we are going to be discussing crimes against children. So if that's a trigger for you, I'll try to give you a heads up, but this whole case is a crime against a child. So, warning. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. Let's get to it. So, we are going to be talking about Jennifer Shewitt. So, Jennifer Shewitt, she was eight years old in 1990. She lived in Dickinson, Texas, which I read was outside of Galveston. I remembered. She lived at the Yorktown apartment complex, and she had just finished the second grade. She loved life. She loved learning. She loved school. I mean, everything that a second grader loves. Uh, So on August 9th, it was summer break. It was a day just like any other and a night just like any other as well. She fell asleep with her mom in her mom's bed as she normally did. It was just uh, Jennifer and her mom. It was just them living in the apartment and Jennifer didn't like the dark or sleeping alone. So she pretty much always, she always slept with her mom. Um, however, in the middle of the night, Jennifer's mom woke her up and asked her to go to sleep in her own bed because Jennifer was really restless. She kept kicking her in her sleep and her mother needed her own sleep for work in the morning. So Jennifer like never slept in her own bed, but she said, quote, just because I love you, mom, I'll do this for you. And she went off to her own room. Uh, so she went to her room. She got down a piggy bank um, and she got some books off her shelf. She kind of counted some change and she read through her books as she fell asleep. She had a bright light on as well. So in the middle of the night, 
Jennifer woke up to a man she did not know carrying her through a parking lot, the parking lot of the apartment complex, and he was running. She tried to scream for help, but the man covered her mouth and nose to keep her quiet. So he got her into his car. He put Jennifer on his lap and he said, quote, everything's going to be okay. I'm an undercover police officer. And he told her that he did not have his gun or badge with him at the moment because she was like, if you're a police officer, where's your gun? Where's your badge? Because she was very intuitive. And he was like, oh, I just don't have it right now. So I mean, I guess if you're undercover, you still need to have it. Do you? If you're undercover? Because what if the bad guys find your badge? I guess if you're like a cop in street clothes, but not necessarily like undercover, undercover, then, then yeah, I would assume you'd have your badge. Um, yeah. Cause I mean, it's not like, it's not like in the movies where you gotta tell me if you're a cop and it's not, it's not a real thing. It's not real. It's not real. That's a movie. But obviously he's not a cop because, because yeah, exactly. Because cops don't run with children in the middle of the night across parking lot. Um, Unless there's, like, a reason. Yeah, exactly. Like, you you don't just wake up to that. No, not at all. So, Jennifer, when he told her that, she felt kind of reassured by it. But she had learned about strangers in school. The guy offered her candy. She was like, no way. You don't take candy from strangers. And she could just tell that something was off. Um, And as they started to drive away from the apartment, she kind of started to realize, have I been kidnapped? And so the stranger pulled into a parking lot of her elementary school, which is just right down the road. And he told Jennifer to uh, watch the moon. And when it changed colors, her mom would be there to pick her up, which I didn't really understand what that meant. It didn't really explain. But I guess just the fate, like the moon just going through its cycle during the night. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's like a gold color yeah, and stuff. Yeah. So maybe that's what he meant. So they waited there for a while. They kind of talked. He talked to her, but the time never came for her mom. Her mom never came. So the stranger said, well, I guess your mom isn't coming. He started the car and drove a few blocks away down a dead end gravel road. And we're going to talk about some stuff here. Uh, The stranger pulled into an overgrown field. He held a knife to Jennifer's throat and said, quote, am I scaring you, little girl? And then proceeded to choke the defenseless eight-year-old girl and attempted to break her neck, but was unsuccessful. And at this point, he had he choked her and she came to consciousness four times. And so the last time, she blacks out. When she kind of comes to, the man was dragging her by her ankles through the field. He dropped her legs, walked back to his car, closed the door, and drove away. And Jennifer, she tried to yell for help. She was very weak. She was, you know, very delirious. She tried to yell for help, uh, but she she couldn't speak, and she didn't know why. So she reached her hand up to her throat, and she felt a gaping wound across her whole neck. She looked at her hand. There was blood all over it, and then she fell back into blackness. Uh, She was eight years old, and she was left to die in a field. And I guess this is like a field kind of in the middle of nowhere because it was off a gravel road. It wasn't that far removed from stuff because it was just just down the road from her apartment complex. But it was far like we'll talk. We'll get to this. So, okay, so that was the night of August 9th into August 10th. So the dawn of August 10th came just as any other day, except on this day, 
there was a young girl missing from her home and a young girl would also soon be discovered in a field. So Jennifer's mom entered her room that morning and she found it empty and the window was open. So detectives decided pretty quickly, uh, that's not normal. That's not a runaway. It's an eight-year-old child abducted, clearly. So they quickly assembled a search party and the town she was from, Dickinson, is fairly small. Um, so their operation, you know, their police force and everything was kind of small. So they got vi- firefighters and other volunteers made up the search party and detectives and the volunteers, everybody searched all that day, but they were unsuccessful in finding Jennifer. And even just, even if she was a runaway, yeah. you know, she's, she's only eight. eight. She is eight years old. Yeah. So you, you still got to. seriously. Right. Yeah. This is pre-Amber Alert, pre-Morgan, well, Morgan X for Arkansas, but this is pre-Amber Alert. Amber Alert came within the next decade after this, but I don't remember the year exactly. Um, but, Wasn't it? It was around the same time as Morgan Nick, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, I think it was like 96, 97, something okay. like that. So, yeah. So, um, but evening fell on August 10th, and a group of children were playing tag in a field not far from Jennifer's apartment. One of the children running tripped over something, and when she turned around to look, she thought it was one of her playmates, but then she saw that it was Jennifer laying on the ground. So the children alerted their parents, who then alerted the authorities and Jennifer had been found. Um, the first responding officer, he bent down over Jennifer and noticed something incredibly important. She was alive. <laughs> she was alive. So Jennifer had her throat slit, was left in the hot August Texas sun all day, and she had fire ants crawling all over her and biting her. She had cuts. She had abrasions. and But she was she was freaking alive. She was critical in very critical condition, clearly, but she was there. So the officer told Jennifer, you've been found. You're going to be okay. Just please stay with me. And she was then placed in a life flight helicopter and airlifted to the hospital. And I like, I'm tearing up a little bit because holy crap. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yes. I, I mean, for an adult to be found that way would be incredible. And for an eight-year-old little girl is absolutely mind-boggling. I, I I feel like you wish you hadn't told me the story beforehand. I just really so you could do. Do I, that part. I really do. I really yeah. I, I shouldn't have. Dang it. Okay. <sighs> okay. Sorry, that was really loud. I didn't mean to breathe in the microphone. So, initial reports from the hospital stated that Jennifer arrived in a grave condition. Clearly, she was very pale. She had an, a massive amount of blood loss. She had a huge laceration, which is like a deep a cut from ear to ear across her throat. She was covered in ant bites and scratches across her back, and it was likely that she had been sexually assaulted. She was unable to make any sounds because of the damage done to her throat. He cut her vocal cords. Uh, it went The injury went through her trachea, which is your windpipe. So you have your esophagus, which is your food pipe, and your trachea, which is your, your air pipe. Two different pipes. Her food pipe was fine. Her windpipe was not fine. Seems like a weird design. It's on purpose, so you don't choke. Yeah, but I mean, like, hmm, I don't know. Just the the idea of like the food in the air has to go so close together. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That. Yeah. Like, who did that? You did that on purpose. You wanted people to choke. (laughs) Just kidding. It's it's just a it's an odd design choice. It is, but I didn't make it. I'm sure if we analyzed all of humanity, we'd be like, that seems like a weird thing to have done. Like why why are eyes so sensitive they are so sensitive somebody can just poke you right there and get into your brain oh my god well 
Jeez, didn't even think. Uh, well, what is make, wrong with you? Make the eyes out of the skull material. But then you can't see. You make it to where you can. So you want an invincible human. A stronger one, yes. <laughs> We're pretty flimsy and weak. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but not Jennifer. So the injury went through her trachea, her windpipe. It didn't involve any major vessels, so no major arteries, which is absolutely insane. And she was, when she arrived, miraculously awake and alert. Like, that. it just is blowing my mind. So she was quickly rushed to surgery to stabilize her and to fix the damage that had been done. Her family obviously couldn't be with her in the operating room, so the staff acted as family during the initial crucial time, telling Jennifer, quote, we're going to take care of you. You're in a safe place now. Nobody can hurt you here. So Jennifer, she did require a tracheostomy below the level of the injury and repair. So tracheostomy is a hole in your windpipe so you can breathe. So they had, they have to put that below the injury point so that she can get air and it lets her, her windpipe and her injuries heal. So she made it out of surgery. She was not bleeding and she was stable, which is amazing. And unfortunately, they did confirm that Jennifer was sexually assaulted, but she was not aware that it had occurred. She was unconscious when it had happened. So, I mean, small blessings, maybe, I guess. But staff noted very quickly that there was a lot of fear from Jennifer with male doctors and, and other male staff. So, I mean, totally understandable. So her mother and staff tried to assure, assure her that the doctors were good and that they were to, there to help. And there there was a policeman standing guard outside her door. But the stranger had also said he was a policeman too. So Jennifer, she didn't know who to trust. She was very fearful. It was a very, she was combative when men came in the room, like she would hit them and stuff, which is like, I totally get it. Um, so her mom was there with her all the time. And it's, it's that's something that's going to take healing. When somebody who's supposed to be trusted, who claims to be somebody who's supposed to be a trusted person, when they hurt you like that, I mean, it's going to be hard to trust again. Right. And especially if it's, um, you know. Eight-year-old like, little girl. Exactly. Like you, you have trouble maybe discerning what's what as far as like, a real right. police officer compared to the kidnapper. Right. So Jennifer first saw herself in the mirror a few days later. Uh, her uncle had brought like a Tinkerbell makeup set and she looked into the mirror and what stared back at her from the mirror was a battered little girl with ruptured blood vessels in her eyes. Like her, the whites of her eyes were completely red. It was very scary. And, you know, that was from where some evil dude had tried to choke her. It ruptured all the blood vessels in her eyes. I mean, it healed. They healed. But initially, how terrifying and scary to see yourself like that with a huge... I'm sure she had a bandage on across her whole neck. Her eyes are blood red. And she has bruises, scratches, and bites all over her. And she was really sunburned because she'd been in the sun all day. Yeah. So, okay. You making it? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So quickly... Law enforcement went into go mode and they wanted to catch this guy. So an officer canvassing the area that Jennifer, kind of close to where Jennifer was found, they found clothing in a ditch. It was around a quarter of a mile from where Jennifer was found. And they found that some of the clothing was Jennifer's. It was some of the clothing she had described that she was wearing. 
And then there was some that was nearby her and they, they just knew it had to be the strangers as well. So they collected that and they felt sure that there would be some DNA evidence on the clothing, but DNA like testing, they knew it wasn't good enough at the time. So they put that away and saved it for later and continued their investigation. And they also knew that they really, really needed to speak with Jennifer to get her side of the story, her eyewitness testimony, like she is crucial in this. But here's the issue. She was still terrified of men and police. And also, uh, she couldn't talk because her vocal cords have been slashed. So to overcome this hurdle, um, officers would stand outside Jennifer's hospital room and they asked her mother questions and her mother would pose the questions to Jennifer and Jennifer would write down her answers on paper and her mom would give the answers to police officers. So that kind of, you know, they were still able to gently ask Jennifer questions and via her mother who, you know, of course she can trust her mother and she didn't have to see the men. She didn't have to be scared. So, and she was strong. I mean, this was only four days after, after her assault where she was answering questions, you know, writing them down or whatever. So that is a strong little girl and her memory and testimony of the events was absolutely incredible. It was spot on. She told detectives that this stranger had said, he said his name was Dennis He looked greasy and had a scar on his face. She said he was a white male around 30-ish. He wore glasses. He had a mustache. And he had... (laughs) Andrew's looking at me. (laughs) Exactly. Mustaches are bad news. And he had one or two green tattoos. And they asked her about his car. She described his vehicle, quote, two doors, a bluish, yucky color. And she even included that there was a dent in the side of it. And she even detailed how the car, like the backseat of the car was just riddled with empty beer cans and two different types of cigarette packages. She said one was red and white, and I can't remember what the other one was, and that she he, she called it light bud <laughs> instead of bud light. She said, she said it was light bud beer, and that um, she she knew it was, Mar- she read Mar- Marlboro, the cigarette. Sorry, that was hard that, to say. Marlboro. Sounds like the worst car. Yeah. It reminds gross. me of... I saw some gross car uh, driving on the freeway one time. They were driving really slow in the left lane, and I passed them, and I'm like, you know, inwardly cussing them, because I'm I'm not a big road rage person, but I will, like, silently think, you piece of garbage. (laughs) But, so I drive by that car, and it is just filled with trash, like, up to the windows, and I was like, now I know why you're over here. You probably can't see, and you're terrified you're going to run into somebody. <laughs> That's so nasty. It was, yeah. Uh, that, no, gross. I bet there are rats and cockroaches in that car. And it probably smells real bad. That's disgusting. I Okay. So, um, our forensic artist visited Jennifer while she was in the hospital. Again, this is just four days after her attack, um, because they really wanted to come up, come up with a composite sketch. So, she brought a bunch of books with her, and it had a bunch of, like different pictures of eyes and eyebrows and hair and things like that. And so after reviewing the books and working with the artist, the composite sketch was made in just about an hour. Like Jennifer had a clear picture of this guy in her mind. Um, so they had that and they published it. They got that circulating. So time passed and the investigation continued and Jennifer physically healed for the most part. Um, and she just, I mean, she survived it. She just had to keep, keep living she had to keep going on with her life um and she even regained the use of her voice before she left the hospital she can speak again and 
so she started the third grade on time with her classmates. Uh, she did have police, police officers taking up occupation outside of her classroom, walking her back and forth to her classes. And she did have her trach for a while um, to let her body heal. And that was eventually removed. And, you know, she, she doesn't have that anymore. So that's good. Um, so they were escorting her everywhere. She even, they even had to move. I read where her mom, she and her mom, before Jennifer even got out of the hospital, her mom had moved out of the apartment and into, and with her grandparents. And so when she left the hospital, like she didn't have to go back to the apartment. She just, they just went to live with her grandparents. So, and she, they just felt more comfortable there. And I mean, understandably so. Right. Cause not only is it somewhere where a horrible crime did not happen, but you have other people there. Exactly. So I think they just felt safer there. And so they had all these people, you know, keeping tabs with her, helping her, assisting her. She had kind of worked through her fear of policemen and knew that these were the good guys. Um, so as the perpetrator had not been caught, the community was on very high alert. And so time continued to pass. Unfortunately, leads grew colder and clues dried up. So finally, years pass, and Jennifer's traumatizing event is just constantly in the back of her mind. She, she, I mean, clearly, of course, she had some PTSD and some anxiety after that. She didn't want to be home alone, especially at nighttime. She did remain fearful of men for some time after that. And she also had fear of her potential killer. Like, is is like this guy on the street that I'm passing? Is this stranger? Is that him? Is this person going to attack me? Is he going to find me and finish the job? Is he going to kill me? Like, how can I trust anyone? And these are very valid, valid thoughts. But she continued on. She kept living her life. She graduated high school. She started college. And she became a children's librarian at a local public library. And she said she absolutely loved that job. And she even found a wonderful man to love. And he loved her just as much. Uh, His name was Jonathan. And many detectives came and went through her case over the years. But her family and Jonathan were her constants. So, 18 years after Jennifer's attack, a new detective came into her life and took over her case. And that is Detective Tim Cromey. And at this point, Jennifer and her family were very frustrated. Clearly, it's 18 years later. The case has not been solved. There have been multiple handoffs, multiple turnarounds with different detectives. There's a bunch of unanswered questions. And so when Gen- so when Detective Cromey came into Jennifer's life and they met for the first time, all she could do, she was just bawling. And, like, he was not expecting that. Like, he was expecting, like a tough a tough woman to greet him to be like all right let's crack down on this but she was just so frustrated and so disheartened and so she just cried and cried and just told detective crummy about all her worries and that she worried about the man who hurt her like her number one concern was that he was going to hurt other people that is what she thought of not not herself she said i don't want him hurting other people and she just wanted to see him come to justice and Detective Cromey, he just sat listening to Jennifer and just handed her tissues and just let her cry and vent her frustration and her sadness. And he just simply said to Jennifer, Jennifer, I will do whatever I can do in my power until the end of my career to get you the answers you need for this case. And that was like a life changing moment for Jennifer. She said she knew she was in good hands with Detective Cromey. So he brought on Special Agent Richard Renison with the FBI to kind of help them with the case. So they all three were working together. They dove back into Jennifer's absolute nightmare 
with Jennifer determined to face her attacker in court. So Agent Renison and Detective, Detective Cromie decided with the DNA advancement that had happened in practically 20 years that they would submit Jennifer's articles of clothing that had been found almost two decades ago for DNA evidence. And they had found her shirt, her panties on the side of the road and the perp shirt and underwear, what they what they just knew had to be his because they were found together. So had they not previously tested it or is it? I don't think so. Okay. Because there hadn't been... Like DNA advancement was so much better at this point. And so I think they didn't because like once DNA is tested, like that piece of clothing, that that whatever, that shred, once it's tested, it's gone. And I don't think they wanted I don't know this. I didn't read this, but my guess would be they didn't want to destroy the chances of of finding because they just knew because there was they knew there was DNA in that clothing and they didn't want to destroy their chances. I guess that would probably predate having a full like system that you can match with yeah so you wouldn't have had the dna would only be valuable maybe if you had a perp to test it against i guess probably potentially but at this point and talking out my butt on this one but but, like when they submitted this evidence that codis was a thing at that point okay so probably yeah and and violent offenders i think were required to uh submit their dna yeah that's how how we solved one of the other cases we yes, did it was um don't remember which one it was it may have been two different ones probably no. it's pretty yeah oh the um julie buskin oh no and it Wasn't was that one uh what's her um was ann presley that way no they got his dna and then compared it oh so, that's right that's right and then they were it, they matched it with dna that they found from a previous case as well. That's what that's what it was. But, it, it was but yeah, but it they didn't. They, yeah, they saw it matched. I think, but they didn't know who it matched with. Yep. Was the issue? But Julie Buskin. Yeah, that that one. Yes. I was yes. going. I was just wondering if that's a federal or a state level decision. Well, it was Detective Renison that I think submitted it because I say this because, and he was the FBI agent because they submitted the items to Quantico. In Virginia, which is FBI headquarters. So I assume it's probably federal because FBI. But I don't I don't know that. But I was speaking more of the uh, the requirement to have your DNA if you're a violent offender. Um, It might be state and federal. Well, I know for sure. We'll get we'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. We we, got to get through it before you try to answer every question. That's right, Andrew. Calm down. All right, so hopes for a DNA profile were kind of slim. They didn't hold their breath because it was a sample that was practically 20 years old, and it was a cold case, so it did not take precedence in the lab. So time passed, over a year passed, and their hopes just kind of, they just kind of grew dimmer and dimmer because so much time had passed. But 19 years after Jennifer's nightmare, Agent Renison's phone rang at 2.30 a.m. It was the DNA lab at Quantico. There was a hit in Jennifer's case. So, Dennis Earl Bradford. His name had not been anywhere in any of the reports or investigations. He had, however, been arrested in 1997 for kidnapping in Hot Springs. Hot Springs is centralish Arkansas. It's not far from Little Rock. Yeah, it's like south yeah. west of Little Rock. So this is what he had done. He had abducted, sexually assaulted, raped, and slit the throat of a woman he met in a local bar. 
I don't know if she lived or died. It didn't say. But he was sent to prison for his kidnapping, not the rape. But because of his violent crimes, he was required to submit his DNA. Mm. So that's why I think it's a state thing because it didn't cross federal. Uh, it didn't cross state lines, so it had to have been state prosecution. So it's probably state and federal where they submitted to CODIS for violent crimes. I guess it could be, but I don't know because I don't. I mean, the police officers, investigators tell us we don't know because the the Julie Buskin case was in Oklahoma, correct? And I assume he did. He was only in Oklahoma, right? He was inactive in Arkansas, as far as we know. Can't remember on that one. So I don't know. Yeah. I guess who knows? Somebody we, answer we, that. We could probably just Google it right now, but that yeah. would ruin the show. Yeah, don't do that. Okay, so after finding out the stranger's name, Detective Cromie and Agent Renison, they poured over all the notes that Jennifer had written in the hospital 19 years before, and sure enough, one of them said, quote, he said his name was Dennis, and she spelled it D-I-N-N-E-S-E, which is adorable, and Dennis, and like an eight-year-old traumatized and sedated girl who had been assaulted. She had been left for dead. She had her throat slit. She was still able to remember, hey, this guy said his name was Dennis. And she told them that almost 20 years before. She had said that he told me his name was Dennis. Then she wrote it down. I don't know if that's like a fact that they, I'm sure they kept up with that, but maybe they thought, well, you know, she's she's been hurt. Like, I'm sure they, they were like, who are the Dennises that may have been around? Well, and not only that, but like, is she really remembering correctly? Was it really right. Dennis? You know, but as they would have come to find out, everything she said, all the details she gave were spot on. She remembered everything. So Bradford, there's a little bit about uh, Mr. Bradford. He was an Arkansas native who had lived in Dickinson for a time in his younger years. He had to have been probably in his early 20s. His address from Dickinson was in very, very close proximity to Jennifer's apartment. Uh, He went to prison in like 97 for the crime he committed in Hot Springs. He got out, oh, I can't remember. I think 2000 and, oh, don't hold me to it. It was around, it was early 2000s. That seems too quickly to get out of jail for that one. Well, and he didn't get, all he was charged for was the kidnapping of a, no, she wasn't a minor. She was an adult. Yeah, I mean, one would think. One would think. I assume, like, I, I don't know. It's, I don't know. She must not have died. I, yeah, if, I don't think she there did. Otherwise, yeah. there would have been a murder charge, you would think. True. You're, you're so right. You're right. Uh, maybe. Okay. So, by 2009, though, which is when all this is taking place, he was married with three stepsons, and he worked as a welder. Um, he worked as a welder, and his composite sketch from two decades ago it was like identical to the driver's license picture like that he had. He just taken it just a couple weeks before his attack on Jennifer and they put it side by side and I'll post, we'll post it with this post, but the side by side of his composite sketch and his driver's license photo is crazy that an eight year old girl who went through that could remember that and, and convey that without speaking any words for real. Cause I, I've thought about, I've watched the shows where they do the yes. composite sketch. And I'm like, I don't know, it was a guy. Uh, yeah. I was like, I, I, I can't remember any, like I, I look at people. That's so funny that you say that. I look at people on the street randomly and I'm like, if this person does something, am I going to remember what they look like? And it's like, everybody's so nondescript, you know, it was a white guy. He was in his fifties. I, I don't know. He had brown hair. Especially because there's so much history of eyewitness testimony that's being off. Correct. Because 
memory yes. is fallible and yes. all. Yes. So absolutely mind boggling. It, it. I'll show it to you. It's going to blow your mind. I suppose she had time to think about it because she was a, with him for a little while. Yeah. It, so it wasn't as much of random person on the street. What if something pops off and I got to remember it real quick? That's true. That's true. And, you know, adrenaline and can put your mind in a heightened state. So maybe it just like seared. I mean, how could it not just sear into your memory, the face of the person that did this to you? But anyway, you slice it eight years old. Absolutely incredible. She is an incredible person. Anyways, so after he was released from prison for his 1997 crimes, which he didn't serve very long for, he continued to live in North Little Rock, Arkansas, which is uh, Andrew's backyard. And uh, that was until 2009 when he was apprehended. Officers pulled him over on a traffic stop and arrested him on a warrant from Texas for attempted capital murder. Um, yeah, so not, not only North Little Rock, he may... Who knows? Maybe he was literally in my backyard. Oh, tell everybody. Because apparently... Wait, no, well, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you you told me beforehand that uh, he was living in Indian Hills. Yes. Which is in North Little Rock. I lived in Indian Hills. Not back, at this time, probably. No, uh, back in the early 90s, basically. What if... Oh my gosh. What if you guys lived in the same house? <gasps> I wonder if I could figure that out. Oh my gosh. I just got a little sick feeling. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even remember what street it I think it... And it didn't it specify an, a street or anything. Yeah. Well, I was trying to think of the street I lived on, but I moved out of that house when I was like three or four. Yeah, so you I don't, don't really remember. You don't know. Okay. So they arrested him for attempted capital murder. When Jennifer was notified of his arrest, she said it was the most surreal and joyous moment of her life thus far. Can you imagine waiting 20 years to bring this person to justice and you get that call? Jennifer, we got him. I just, I can't even imagine how unreal that feels. Even just the DNA hit would have felt mind blowing. Did they tell her they got the DNA hit beforehand? Yes. Okay. Yes. So yeah, that even that would have been like um, an amazing she, feeling. I mean. By I, itself, just because, you know. You know. You, you got you him know dead to rights is. there. Yeah. All right. So. Chromie and Renison, they took Bradford to the police station to interrogate him. And this is how part of the conversation went. Renison said, you ever heard the name Jennifer Shewitt? Bradford said, yes. Did you ever have occasion to come in contact with her? Yes. Tell me about that. No. And after further questioning and gentle urging and pleading, Bradford opened up a little more. He said, not a single day goes by where I don't see that baby. There is no other side to the story. She was an innocent, and I was a sick, deranged, beat-up little effing punk. And they just let him talk, and he told his story with tears and sobbing. And finally he said, Okay, forgive me, Mama. I pulled that little girl out of that window, and I put her in my car. And she was freaking out, and I told her, Please, just don't worry. It will be all right. I told that little girl I was a police officer and that everything would be okay. I pulled off on this little road and that little girl, she was so scared. I just lost it. I was a savaged animal. I took that little girl out there and I raped her and I cut her throat. I don't know why. I've never known why. Many, many times I've just wanted to end it, but I never had the guts. With confession in hand, though, Chromie and Renison hugged Jennifer and said, we told you we'd get him. So, I'm going to cry. You can take a moment if you need to. Okay. The, okay. 
Just because I, I can edit <laughs> if, if it, if <laughs> no, it goes okay. on for a while. I'm good. Okay. So Dennis Earl Bradford, he was apprehended. He was in jail. He was not able to hurt anyone else. And he was awaiting trial. So prosecutors, they had the confession. A life sentence was likely. Bradford planned on pleading guilty. I mean, they had it in the bag. He didn't. He said he didn't want to prolong things anymore. No jury, no trial. So August 10th, they planned on August 10th, which would be exactly 20 years after the crime committed against Jennifer. All parties were going to go before a judge and Jennifer was going to read her victim impact statement to Bradford. However, Detective Cromie received an unexpected call in the middle of the night. Dennis Earl Bradford had hung himself in his cell. He couldn't confront his past and he couldn't confront the crimes he committed against an innocent girl. He could not look her in the face and face her for what he did. So Cromie and Renison, they knew they had to break the news to Jennifer themselves. When they made the call to Jennifer, they were absolutely understandably met with crying and screaming on the other end. She just felt absolute devastation she just wanted to see see it through to the end she wanted to face him like she said before she just she wanted to see him and tell him to his face what he had done to her and how she had survived it and how she was strong but yeah i was gonna say we didn't didn't, i don't know if we made it very clear but he he thought he had killed her he thought he had killed her in fact the when chromie and renison said something about there's a taped interview and I showed it to Andrew last week and it's basically Renison and Cromie say something to him that indicates that she's alive. And he said, she's still alive. He had no idea that she, he thought she had died, which he doesn't get to be happy that she's alive. He doesn't, he doesn't get to be happy. He doesn't get to feel relief. No, you, you killed her. Like in your mind, you killed her. So you don't get to feel relief okay i'm sorry i got a little upset so jennifer would never face her attacker in court and she would never see him get justice for the crimes he committed against her so on august 10th 2010 exactly 20 years after her after the her assault when they were supposed to be going to court jennifer went to dennis earl bradford's grave and read her victim impact statement as she sobbed and her husband jonathan they got married stood by her side and supported her I'm going to read a portion of the victim impact statement. It's a little bit lengthy, but I was sobbing as I was reading this. So please forgive me. It's, it's going to be a little bit long. <clears throat> it starts, Dennis Bradford, I waited 19 years, two months, and three days to find out your last name and for you to be caught. I knew your first name was Dennis because you told me before you raped and attempted to murder me on August 10th, 1990. When you cut my throat from ear to ear, you assumed that I'd die, or if I lived, that I wouldn't be able to talk. Well, you chose the wrong little 45-pound, 8-year-old girl to try and murder because for 19 years, I've thought of you every single day and helped in searching for you. Every year that's passed has given me more strength and drive for when I finally would face to be face-to-face with you as I am today." Some may feel sad for me that it took 19 years to track you down, but I'm only sad for the others that have fallen victim to you. Wondering how you could be capable of committing such horrendous acts on such an innocent and frail little girl as I was back on August 10th, 1990. 
and knowing others could be harmed by you are what has bothered me the most all of these years. I didn't know who you were or where you were, but in my heart, I knew that you were out there, alive, either in prison or living a lie. And now I know, listening to my heart all these years and never giving up on finding you, I was right. All of this time, you've been living a lie, keeping your secret of who you really are to yourself. Every year I spent trying to find you and bring you to justice. You spent thinking that you got away with what you did to me. You thought you got away with creeping into the window of an apartment, lived in by a single mother and daughter, and then kidnapping, raping, and almost succeeding at murdering me. Just an innocent little girl peacefully sleeping in the middle of the night. On the first night in my life, I had gone to sleep in my own bed when I couldn't fight to get away from you. What a cowardly way to commit a crime. I hope you had sleepless nights filled with nightmares and spent every day looking over your shoulder all of these years. After telling me you were an undercover police officer and telling me your gun was in the back seat of your vehicle and me curiously, curiously leaning over the front seat to look into the back, I can still think back and feel the fear I had inside of me at the very moment when you ripped my panties off of me and lay me down in the front seat of that vehicle and started to lick me. As an eight-year-old child, I didn't know what you were doing, but I knew it was wrong. I knew at that moment that you didn't know my family, and I knew that you were not a police officer like you had said. I, in my mind, tried to imagine what I could do to escape you because I feared for my life, but knew that I wouldn't be able to get away because I wouldn't be strong enough or fast enough. As if putting your grown man hands around my little neck and choking me repeatedly and raping me wasn't enough, you continued to play out your nightmarish fantasy. You slipped my throat, and as you dragged me by my ankles through brush and thorns, I did what came as first instinct to me. I played dead. You thought you killed me. You thought you had won the sick game you started, but again, you were wrong. You left me there in a fire ant pile like I was nothing, like I was an old rag doll you had discarded in a field as trash after having your fun torturing her. We all know the details, but as a reminder, for over 14 hours, I'd laid there in that field, bleeding to death, helpless, but not alone. I had angels sitting next to me, even though I could not scream, I could not get up. I couldn't do anything physically as fire ants stung me all over my body. There was one thing I could do. Pray for strength and survive. Luckily, those prayers were answered. The choices you made in the early morning hours of August 10th, 1990 have impacted my life and changed me forever. Before August 10th, 1990, I was a free-spirited little girl. I can't remember ever even being afraid or living in fear besides always being afraid of the dark, as most children are at that age. You changed that. By the time I was released from the hospital, we didn't even live in our own home anymore. You put such a fear into myself and family that I didn't get to go home to the home that I had known for almost five years. My mother and I had to move in with my grandparents. I had to be escorted to and from school. And instead of being my usual carefree self, I lived with anxiety and what I now know as post-traumatic stress disorder. I didn't know what those things were then. I don't even know if anyone ever explained it to me for sure. But looking back on it, I realize now that me not sleeping in my own bed until 15, me living in fear of you coming back and hurting myself or my mother, and me not wanting to do anything without my mother. I wasn't like other normal children, even though my mother tried to make our life as normal as possible. When I would go in public to the grocery store, doctor's appointments, or the mall, 
Everyone in my eyes was a suspect, and it's remained that way until October 13th, 2009. For years, I've studied the faces of every male that would pass by because I was sure had I seen you, I'd recognize you. I was scared of my own bed, scared of sleeping, scared of the dark, and as a child and teenager. But during the day, I was constantly looking for you, trying to save others from being attacked by the person that had so viciously attacked me. The only fear I didn't have was doing anything and everything in my power to help in capturing you. I had nightmares for a year or so after you attacked me, and for a short period of time can remember being afraid of men. I felt like myself and my family had been violated, but the drive and determination in me to find you has kept me going. Knowing one day I'd face you and know you never hurt another person has kept me going. Also, from the age of five, my dream was to grow up and be a mommy of eight boys. You also have changed that dream. For years after you attacked me, I knew something was medically wrong with me, and I've gone to various doctors, and I finally found out two years ago, after undergoing tests and surgery, that my medical issues are a result of you brutally attacking me, and that it is medically impossible for me to conceive children without help of an infertility doctor and treatments. As a child, I can also remember locking myself in the restroom and sitting on the bathroom counter, staring at the long, ugly red scar on my neck left by you taking a knife and cutting me from one ear to another and asking myself, what had I done for someone to do such horrible things to me? As an elementary student at the time and having to have a tube down my throat for part of my third grade year, children and adults were curious and I was constantly asked questions of what happened to me and why. How was I... An eight-year-old supposed to answer questions that I didn't even have the answers to. Because of the tube in my throat, I couldn't participate in PE like all the other children, but instead would sit in the nurse's office for an hour every day while the other children played. As a college student, I was nervous walking to and from classes in the parking lots, always frightened and worried about someone attacking or following me. I have suffered anxiety attacks at night in past years so bad that I cannot breathe and sit up for hours trying to calm myself. But today, I sit in front of you as a 28-year-old woman and would like you to know that I am not a victim because of what happened 20 years ago. Your plan the night of August 10th, 1990 was not the same plan that God had for me. You may have taken away my voice for a short period of time, and you may have taken away a piece of my being and innocence I will never get back, but you've never taken away my strength or my will to survive. I have waited for this day for 20 years of my life and hope you now feel as weak as you made me feel all those years ago as a child. While you played out your fantasy on my tiny body and attacked me, you made me feel this small. Today, I hope you feel this small sitting in front of me because I definitely feel like the strong one. In life, we have choices and I made a choice early on to not let this negative and traumatic experience define me. Instead, I turned the attack into something positive for not only myself, but others by using my voice to speak out against crime in hopes that myself and other survivors will conquer crime one voice at a time. Dennis Bradford, I am not your victim. I am victorious. All right. That was really long. That was. But I had to say it all. It was all way too good. And those are Jennifer's own words. That was her victim statement. She was supposed to read to Dennis Bradford, and she never got the opportunity. So, Jennifer continued to do what she always did. She lived her life with love and support from those closest to her. She married Jonathan, and she, 
uh, as she said in her statement, she wanted so badly to start a family, to have a big family. But unfortunately, Bradford had caused an infection that did irreparable damage to her reproductive organs. Her only option to give birth to biological children was through in vitro fertilization, which is incredibly expensive. So Dr. Craig Witz, a fertility specialist in Houston, offered his services for free, free of charge to Jennifer. He said, quote, is, it was without any thought. For God's sake, what can we do to help this person and try to make things right? Hers really is a story of survival. And with Dr. Witz's help, Jennifer's dreams became a reality. And she never thought it was possible. She and her husband, Jonathan, have two children, biological children that she gave birth to. Jenna, a girl and a boy, Jonah. And I'll leave you with this. So I'm going to go ahead and leave you with this quote from Jennifer. She has many, many good ones. She is my hero. She is incredibly strong. And holy cow, what a powerhouse. She said, the scars that I have on my body represent a time in my life when I was scared and left helpless. But they also represent survival. You may be left with scars, but you can blossom into something powerful. And with her case finally closed, Jennifer is now a fierce advocate for other crime survivors, and she remains close to those who helped her through the darkest chapter of her life. And that is the story of one incredible Jennifer Shewitt. That was a heck of a story. She, that, that is her story. And I have to give credit. I got, almost all of this was in Jennifer's words in Detective Cromie and an agent Renneford. Renison. Thank you. In Renison's words. And it was from CBS. Uh, it was an article produced by Stephen A. McCain, Marcelina Spencer, Meadstone, and Gary Winter. Uh, there was also some stuff from the Arkansas Times, uh, stuff from today.com, uh, Jennifer's actual victim impact statement, which, of course, was very long, <laughs> but very good. Uh, but yeah, CBS had the main article that I got most of this information from. I just want to say thank you. If Jennifer should ever listen to this, Jennifer, you are incredible. Thank you for speaking out. Thank you for your words. And to anybody else who has suffered, like she said, your scars, you may have physical scars, but they can blossom into something powerful. And I'll leave it there. It's a good story. Thank you. Very powerful stuff. It is powerful stuff. I, I, I Now you know why I cried so much. It was uh, really, I was like, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, clearly you can see why I cried so much. Yeah. Um, I was worried a little bit with, because um, this is the first one we've ever done where somebody survives, but then I remember yes. the dude killed himself. So some, the, the, theme <laughs> of the, the theme of the show continues. Where yeah. somebody has to die. Fortunately, it was the bad guy. It was it was not Jennifer. Thank goodness. What a strong, strong woman. So, the the the, the, the wow. I just <laughs> strong. What, what was that? <laughs> the theme continues. <laughs> you almost sounded like Crazy Frog there for a second. My bad. The little thing, like the way you were doing it, was like kind of musical, like Crazy Frog. Crazy Frog. You don't remember Crazy Frog? Uh-uh. Yeah, it was like a weird ringtone thing. Put your phone away. I'm sorry. My mom texted me. <laughs> I was checking. Also, I'm on call, so I have to know if somebody is my mom. But it, okay. Well, like your 
stuff all the stuff go off or whatever uh the pager might it may not sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't i have to have both okay anyway i'm not looking at the capitals i know I you know. think that's what i was looking at i was just making sure okay because you were doing that last week yes i was so kindle honey i'm about to let you down here because <laughs> i didn't study <laughs> Well, let's see here. What are we on? Okay. We're going First to the one. capitals. First one. Okay. For the week. Okay. What is the capital of the state of Kinsaw? Some people call it Kansas. Yeah, but. Topeka. There you go. I just want to point out that um, we were here first. We established how to pronounce. We're number 25. Yes. And they are probably 26 or 27. <laughs> I don't know. doesn't matter. We're here first. I know for a fact that arkansas was here first so suck it topeka kinsaw that is the capital of kinsaw you're correct thank you very very happy um this one might be difficult uh maine because it's like there's like one city i think people have maybe heard of in maine but it's not that one (laughs) no okay no okay Okay. we'll move on then okay uh next one's gonna be maryland I swear I looked at these today. I was very busy, though. I bet you did. I have, I worked today, so it was in passing. Try and run through, like, what... Can you name any cities in Maryland? Like, just as a way to... A thought... Thinking out loud type of thing. Maryland. Um, Granted, I can only think of, like, two, so... Is one of them the capital? Yes. Okay. Well, Maryland. Um, you know, everybody knows that place in Maryland. It's the capital. Boom. There you go. That one's... Probably the, the lesser known of Maryland. There's... I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Well, we'll just. Uh... I did so good. Last I know. Week. <laughs> it's because you were cheating. Basically. No, I wasn't. You were almost cheating. No, I wasn't. Pretty much. I didn't look. Yeah, but you looked like right before. So it doesn't matter. Well, I especially like last week after the show. You were like, I bet you can't do it either, and started naming off some states. And I was <laughs> yeah. like. Every single one perfectly right immediately. Yes, mm. I can do this. You're the only, like, I have surveyed people. You're the only one who can do it. Well, I've got one thing going for me. How about Massachusetts? Nantucket. Think about Massachusetts. Boston. There you go. Sweet. There you go. All right. This one might be a little difficult. Okay. Or maybe it'll be easy. Who's oh. to say? Um, what, what do you got for the capital of... Michigan. St. Paul. No. But that's Minnesota, isn't it? Yes. Next one, Minnesota. St. Paul. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. (laughs) (laughs) You're almost there. So close. (laughs) It started with an M. Okay, give me another one. Is it Missouri? Because it's Jefferson City. Uh Okay, we'll go ahead and do that. Okay. You skipped ahead one. Okay. Uh, but yes, Jefferson City. Is Missouri. Is Missouri. Okay. And uh, next one, Mississippi. Jackson. There we go. Okay. And Montana. Oh, debut, debut, beauty. Nothing like that, is it? It is not anything like whatever noises you just made. <laughs> <laughs> Montana. Uh, the beautiful, powerful city of Montana. I, you know what? I can name. Hmm. Montana. I can name like three state cities there, but Montana, Montana. 
I'm going to know what it is when I look at it. I can't remember. All right. Well, we'll move on. Final one for the week. Nebraska. Oh, heck. I don't know. It's something weird. I remember that, that I would never know. It's, I don't think it's that weird. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Just straight up don't know. I was like a 50% there. Yeah? Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Not bad. Okay. Not as bad as the first time. Not as good as the second time. Wait. Third time? I think it was the third time when, you, fi- when you finally stepped it up. And Kendall's like, dude, you're embarrassing me. Um, These are the, <laughs> these are the states and their capitals. <laughs> I let her down. I did better than before, though. Yeah. yeah. You, you, I did about as I expected for yeah. quickly skimming the states today. Honestly, that's about how I expected you to do On all the, of it? The originally, but then you were just way worse you're welcome. it was super embarrassing that's how i roll you know how i be all right so all right what you what you what's that corner what what you looking at what you looking at or what you listening to uh, yeah but mostly looking okay what you looking at um i watched a soccer match yesterday mm, between sporting kansas city oh okay. i'm wearing a shirt oh, okay and uh vancouver whitecaps mm. and riveting yeah, it was. Actually, it, Sporting Kansas City won in penalties. They eliminated Vancouver from the MLS's back tournament. Uh, Vancouver had no business being in this as much as they were. They uh, good job, Vancouver! Yay, Canada! They lost like a bunch of their players and stuff. Like they, it's like a real nightmare. The fact that they got to the knockout stages of the tournament is basically a miracle. Well. Good job. I like Canada. They're nice people. If you say so. Um, but yeah. Also, also, baseball started. I heard. I don't know if that's going to keep going mm, uh, until everybody gets COVID. Well, yeah, because the the Miami team, the Marlins, they had like eight people test positive right after they <laughs> had just played games with other people oh, in other no. cities. Oh no! So this is like, I know you don't care about sports or keep up with them. Nope. But MLS. That's Major League Soccer, in case you didn't know. And the NBA, they're doing a thing where they have a bubble. So they have all the teams together in one spot. They're in Orlando at Disney and using their sports complex there. And they're testing every day and all this stuff. And so um, MLS actually had to get rid of two teams because they were... I think one of them wasn't following protocol correctly. And they were all testing positive. So there's like, all right, boot. Dallas, Nashville... You're out. You don't get to be in the bubble. Bye. Um, but I don't think they've had any more positives since then. Good. And uh, the NBA is doing a similar thing. They haven't started yet. Whereas baseball, there's like, we'll just play with no fans, but we're going to be traveling all across the country. Makes sense. <laughs> like, You're still in close parks. Anyway. So now they, they've got a team that's probably going to have to sit out for a good while. Hey, you know who tested positive for COVID? Who was definitely anti-mask? A lot of people, but yeah, that state senator. Yeah, I forget his name. Rapper, Raper. Isn't isn't he our state senator? Yes. Yeah. Well, he's like he's he's one a, of them. He's a senator for like the state, not like the senator. From, oh, okay. I see. I see. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, um, that's what happens when it's you. A, it's a serious thing. Take yeah. it seriously. Nobody's <laughs> trying to take away your freedom. Everybody just wants to be healthy and well. I want, we want you to be healthy and well. We want to protect you. And we would like for you to to do the same for us because we extended you that courtesy. Yeah. It's just, uh, I don't, I mean. We can't get into this. I don't. We're just going to get angry. Well, and also because 
it's is been, there, it's is there a into the ground. No, there's not. Because if you don't buy into it by now, I don't know if you ever will. Yeah, then go ahead and get COVID. That's fine. I, I just don't. Yeah. It's, it's not worth the, it. Just get COVID. It's fine. I mean, you know, all the doctors and nurses are telling you it's a serious thing and please. I don't know if you know this, Andrew. <laughs> I'm a nurse. Yes. But I'm talking about like. Other nurses and doctors. Other nurses and oh, doctors. okay. Not me. Okay. Yeah. Because obviously you're biased because you're part of the deep state. Of course. That's that's the whole purpose of this podcast is Absolutely. to indoctrinate you into uh, communism or you, you will, something, whatever yes, it is. Mind control, blah, 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 blah. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. Sarcasm. Also, I've also been watching a YouTube channel a bunch. Tell me. Called, it's by the Epic Nate 315. I had to bring it up because I couldn't Is it the Elder name. Scrolls one? And it's, yeah, it's a bunch of like Elder Scrolls <gasps> lore videos you and just, stuff. You just, after we recorded last week, I was like, tell me. And you just like, were, I was like, tell me stories of Skyrim. And you're like, tell me all about it. And it was awesome. Yeah, it's, it's a bunch of lore stuff. And also talks about like, oh, there's like uh, content that didn't make it into the game. <gasps> so it talks about like. You didn't tell me about this. You have to tell me after we finish recording. Like there's one where it talks about like how different the Civil War quest was going to be. And like how it was going to involve every single city instead of just like a few. <laughs> which is what ended up being in the game. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of cool a lot of cool, cool lore stuff in there cool. and i can i just play that while on my computer while i'm playing skyrim <laughs> so i'm just hearing so much skyrim yeah. all up in some tamriel so that's what i've been looking at well i've been pretty busy but what i've been listening to you know me and my audiobooks you might be into this though so i I subscribe to Audible. This is not a push for their stuff, but this is just, I subscribe to Audible and I like Audible. Even though we're a podcast and every podcast ever advertises Audible at some point. Do they really? It seems like it. Well, we just like, I, I just like Audible. Just, that's we just can, me. What What else? Oh, uh, NordVPN. We're, we're sponsored. We're not sponsored by anything. Madison Reed, the hair product one. Oh, that, that's probably outside of my bubble of Simply Safe. Yes. Simply Safe um we're various not, vpns we're not pushing all this it's mattresses just, it's just that we hear about this that's because they they advertise there's only like five types of things that yeah. advertise on podcasts it's always the same stuff yeah that's, it is okay my book listen okay okay my audiobook it's really this is the description oh that's pretty long oh my gosh so I, I know that other one was long basically okay i don't know how to describe it it's okay Okay. Okay. Hailed by the LA Times Magazine as the greatest epic in the history of comic books, The Sandman changed the game with its dark literary world of fantasy and horror, creating a global cultural phenomenon in the process. At long last, Audible and DC present the first ever audio production of the New York Times best-selling series written by acclaimed storyteller Neil Gaiman. Adapted from multiple. So yes, I've heard of this. Oh, have you? Yes, it's very, it's very popular. I've never read it, but yeah, it's it's a it's a um graphic novel, isn't it? Yes, and in fact, I saw an advertisement, a a video on YouTube was sponsored promoting it. Was it really promoting this audio thing? Okay, listen. In the, the the first installment of a multi-part original audio series will transport you to a world that rewrites the rules of audio entertainment the way the Sandman originally redefined the graphic novel. So it's a graphic novel that's been written into an audiobook. Yes. More or less. And it's very much like a movie playing out. Like there's a there's an, an soundtrack with it and everything. It is way cool. 
I think they've done this before, not through Audible, but I think Stitcher Premium. They oh, yeah? had the Wolverine Long Night or whatever. Uh, I don't know okay. if that was a graphic novel first, but I, I think I saw the graphic novel for sale, uh-huh. but I'm not sure which direction that was where it was like, is the no- graphic right. novel based which on the... first. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also, um, there's a Star Wars book that they did this with. Um, mm. It's Dooku Jedi Lost. Uh, so you can see like... Count Dooku. Yeah. And it's a big audio production thing. It's well, pretty cool. There and th- this has some re- this has a really stellar cast. James McAvoy, who is beautiful and wonderful, and I love I love 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 him. I love you, James McAvoy. Um, who else was in it? Uh, Michael Sheen, amazing actor. Arthur Darville, who plays Rory in Doctor Who. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Riz Ahmed, which I know the name and I know I recognize him if I saw him, but I'm not putting a name and face together right now. Kat Dennings, she plays in Thor. She plays in Two Broke Girls. I yeah. think that's the name of that. I never watched it. Taron Egerton, love Taron Egerton. He plays Eggsy in Kingsman. Samantha Morton, don't know her. Don't know Bebe Newworth. Wasn't wasn't Egerton also Elton John? Yes, I'm yes, he was. Surprised you didn't use that example. Uh, why didn't I? I'm crazy. And Andy Circus, who we all know and love as Gollum. We all know him as Claw from the marvels yes that too so i'm really excited it's a good lengthy one so far it's super freaking cool apparently it is kind of graphic but i haven't gotten into anything graphic yet so heads up well it is a graphic novel that's not i think uh you know some people are like particular about comic book versus graphic novel like using those words which i feel like graphic novel is just when they're trying to be like fancy pants serious yeah like People call Watchmen a graphic novel mm. more than a comic. Yeah, maybe because it's like grittier. It's, seri- it's serious. Seedier. Yeah, it is. Watch- Watchmen is. It is the way it is. Was that the first? Like you and I. Was that the first movie we ever saw together in college? I don't think so, but we did see it together. Yeah, and I was like, "This is stupid," and you're like, "This is awesome." Some of like, it was awesome. I was like, "I'm not into this movie." <laughs> what was the oh the other one we saw uh district nine you oh were very unhappy God, i hated that one that movie rules the, uh, they get the lightning gun and they just make people explode <coughs> everywhere it's awesome and, and the then, guy morphs into a weird alien from a human and spoiler alert and he's also they get the part with the mech and the mech like catches bullets and it shoots him back at people it's that movie's that movie's a good movie yeah. i'm gonna go see it again the south african apartheid terrible people yeah, it is like a little on uh-huh, the nose uh-huh, of apartheid. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so yeah, take that. You know, that's life sometimes. Anyways. I don't know if that guy's made any other good movies. He did Elysium, which I thought was eh, okay. It was okay. I saw that. Nobody like, liked Chappie, it seems like. I never saw that one. Never saw it. Never even heard of it. I wish he could have made that Halo movie he wanted to make. That would have been cool. Yeah. He, Maybe. I think he may have done the little short they did for that. That was pretty cool. He also wanted to do an alien movie, but he never got to do that. Like in the Alien series? Yeah. Oh. Before they did Alien Covenant, maybe? Oh, I think he was going to do remember. something. They, I don't but know which one I, I think I've said it before, but they should just stop making alien yeah, movies. Yeah, just, just stop. Just, Sigourney Weaver isn't in them. Just stop. Just you, stop. You made two good ones. You're done. Just, You're done. Just move on. Just go. You know, you made Alien. You made Aliens. Those are good. Yep. Alien 3? Nope. Bad. Alien, whatever the fourth one was, Resurrection, bad. bad. 
AVP, bad. AVP2, bad. Prometheus, bad. Alien Covenant, bad. Just stop. Yeah, you Let's had two on. good ones. So y- clearly the track is that there won't be any more good ones. Exactly. And the same goes for Predator and Terminator. Oh, yeah, definitely. So I got nothing else. I got nothing else. So guys, thank you so much for sticking with us. I think this was our longest episode. Sorry about that. But there was just too much good information. And I, I just, it was, J- Jennifer had to be quoted. She is amazing. So uh, new episodes every Tuesday. We You can find us on Facebook at Paint the Town Dead. You can find us on Instagram, Paint the Town Dead, all one word. You can find us on Twitter at PTTDPod. And you can email us at PTTDPod at gmail.com. Please feel free to subscribe, rate, like, share, comment. Please do anything and everything that has to do with us because the more you get us out there, the better our ratings are. And that really helps us out. Um, so this is dropping tomorrow on Tuesday. We're recording Monday night because I'm a procrastinator. And um, we we're so, so happy you came by again. Yeah. Uh, yes. If you... We're available on most things, I guess. Yeah. Um, Apple Podcasts. Rate us on that. Spotify. Subscribe to us. If you subscribe, I'm pretty sure if you're listening to this, you probably know. But if you subscribe to us, it will automatically download in your queue. Yes, that is how podcast apps work. If you subscribe to them. You have to subscribe. Right. Yes. So, Um, anyway. Okay. Guys, thanks for stopping by. We'll be back next week. Tune in. Another case. Andrew's going to cover a good one. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be good. I don't either. Oh, the anticipation is killing (laughs) both of us. I have an idea, though. Okay, cool. We'll see if that's the idea I go with. Who knows? Who knows? Life is a mystery. It really is. Okay, guys. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye.